Welcome to Fusion Church's Sermon of the Week. Fusion Church is located in Wakanda, Illinois. We exist to complete and multiply people who passionately follow Christ. For more information, visit www.fusionchurch.com. Let's dive into this week's sermon. This morning, we're going to continue in the series that Chael kicked off last week on prayer. But before I really get into that, I just had a sense as I was preparing and even as we were worshiping to just give a quick word of encouragement in the area of perseverance. Uh, My sense is that some of us uh, are growing a little bit uh, potentially weary in this season. Uh, Maybe it's just the overall environment itself, the fact that we haven't been able to gather together, uh, maybe things personally that are going on. Uh, But if you feel like there are some areas in your spiritual life that have just been a bit of a grind, I just want to encourage you to keep on grinding. So if your prayer life feels like it's just this slog, or maybe it's your time in the Word, or maybe it's just even trying to find time with God, or to model any kind of following of Jesus, maybe at work or with your kids and family, I just want to encourage you to keep at it. And I love the verse in James chapter 1 where the writer talks about, I think it's in verse 3 or 4, that perseverance must finish, finish its work so that we can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The idea being that when we get into a situation that requires perseverance, that God has a plan and a purpose, and that's to bring us into a greater level of maturity. So be encouraged, don't give up, keep on grinding. I think that's a good transition just overall with the idea of prayer. And if you were here last week, uh, or streaming last week, uh, you know that we started talking about the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to go through this uh, verse by verse, week by week. And I just want to encourage you as well as we do this, to, if you have children, to try and memorize this uh, as a family. Uh, We did this with the 23rd Psalm uh, several weeks and months ago. And listen, this is how Jesus said to pray. So if this isn't something uh, that you know by heart yet, I just want to encourage you uh, to memorize it together. Uh, Chael kicked us off, though, with just the first verse. So I'm going to read it all. uh, And this is starting, uh, this is Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This then is how you should pray. And this is Jesus speaking. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And the idea I was talking about with perseverance, if you've ever been praying and felt like discouraged or wondering, is this even working? Or is God hearing me? Am I doing this right I want to encourage you that I think all of us at some point in our journey with God have wondered that in certain areas of prayer. And so what we're going to do is just take out uh, and highlight more of these specific parts of the Lord's Prayer, give some color on those. What do these things really mean? What do they look like? And then what does it look like for us to actively pray and pursue these things in prayer? Last week, Chael made the point uh, that I just want to highlight in the area of that first verse, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That if you don't understand 
who you're conversing with. It will potentially negatively impact or affect all of the rest of your interaction. And he used the example of the idea of if you don't really know the person that you're, that you're conversing with, it will change the complexion of the conversation. So understanding that God is Father, that he's good, that he's sovereign, that he's holy, that he's loving, is so important as we start. Tonight, or excuse me, this morning, I want to look at the kingdom. Specifically, what does, what does it mean when Jesus says, we should pray, your kingdom come, your will be done? So I want to focus specifically on the kingdom itself. What does it look like? And how do we pray for it to manifest? in our lives, in our church, in, in the lives of those around us. Quick sidebar. As a general rule, as a follower of Jesus, if something is important to Jesus, it should be important to us. Why do I say this? Because if you look at the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, Jesus talks more about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven than anything else. For any of you numbers geeks out there, Jesus specifically mentions the kingdom over 30 times in each of Matthew and Luke, another 14, 15 times in the book of Mark. That's 70 times in the first three gospels and a few more in John. So it's very important to Jesus. So it should be important to us. Question is, what is it? The irony for me personally, and I don't know what kind of church environment, maybe you weren't raised in church, I was. I grew up learning about the life of Jesus, learning about a lot of the different parables that he taught and a lot of his different teachings. I probably could, from memory, teach on many of the different things, but I don't know that I could have given a good definition of what is the kingdom of God, what is the kingdom of heaven. And by the way, when when Jesus uses those, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, they're, genuine, they're genuinely speaking synonymous. So he's, he's talking about the same thing. And if you think about that practically, well, what would the kingdom of heaven be? Well, God rules in heaven. So the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are one and the same. And there's reasons sometimes why he uses one uh, more, say, in one gospel than another. But I'm not going to get into that specifically. But this was highlighted for me when I was probably in my early 20s being discipled by Eric LaRue, who's the former pastor of our church, and I remember him simply saying, Marky, the kingdom of God is wherever Jesus rules and reigns. Wherever Jesus is in control, the kingdom of God is manifest and on display. As I was prepping for this, I uh, had a good conversation with the infamous or well-renowned biblical scholar and pastor Chael Tiller, uh, asking what is his preferred definition for the kingdom. And I really liked it. So if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. But uh, as Chael defines it, he says, the kingdom of God is where and how God rules as an uncontested king. And I would highlight or underline that word uncontested. And everything is as it should be. I'm going to say that again. Where and how God rules as an uncontested king and everything is as it should be. I like it for a number of reasons, but it sort of gives you a firm what it is and what it looks like all in one. And I would argue if you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus' entire life is a perfect representation 
of someone who is submitted, submitted fully to the kingdom of God. Best example of this would probably be his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane before his death, one of his last prayers. Father, not my will, but your will. And some people would say, well, I don't know. Jesus was fully God. How could he be submitted to the kingdom of God? That doesn't make sense. But there are a lot of things written on the idea that, and even in Jesus' own words, talking about, I'm just doing what I see the Father doing. And that Jesus was actually submitted to the will of the Father. The cross wasn't Jesus' idea, and you see that in that prayer. Father, if you can take this cup from me, take it, but not what I will, but what you will. But if you look at the life of Jesus, it looks like an open heaven. From his baptism till his death on the cross, it just seems like heaven is following Jesus everywhere he goes. And the manifestations thereof are because the kingdom of God is on full display. In Matthew chapter 11, uh, I encourage you to read this on, in your free time. We're not going to go there, but just a quick summary of the story. John the Baptist is in prison and he hears about the things that are happening, sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we have been expecting? Are you the one we've been waiting for? Or should we expect someone else? And I love it because Jesus doesn't directly answer the question. He gives one of his classic rhetorical answers. Just report to John what you're seeing, what you're hearing, what's happening. Blind eyes are being opened. Deaf ears are being unstopped. Lepers are being cleansed. The good news is being preached. So, of course, yes, the kingdom of God is on display. Jesus is who we've been waiting for. What I do want us to turn to, though, is another example where Jesus says specifically in one of his parables, this is found in Matthew 13, verses 44, 45. And if you read through the parables of Jesus, most of them are framed with the idea of the kingdom of God is like, and then he tells a story. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who went on a journey or a farmer who went out to sow his seed. So all of these teaching anecdotes and incredible illustrations that Jesus is giving are pointing at what the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is really like. So this is a short one, and I just want to encourage you to meditate on this this week. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of God is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. In both these examples, in verse 44 and 45, there's an element where the kingdom is hidden. The first one, it says explicitly that it's a treasure hunter who is just finding are seeking far and wide looking for this perfect right treasure. And when he finds it, what does he do? It says, one, there's joy and then there's surrender. Everything else goes by the wayside. It says, in his joy he went and sold all he had and bought the field. And you see the same thing uh, in the description of fine pearls. When he found that perfect pearl, he went away, sold everything he had, and bought it. I just want to ask, is that how you feel about the uncontested rule of reign and rule and reign of God in your life? That it's worth throwing everything else away for? That also begs the question, of course, 
what does that mean to get rid of other things for the sake of the kingdom of God? And we'll get there in a moment. But I just want you to wrestle with that. What, the, what does that look like to say, I'm willing to forsake everything else for the uncontested rule and reign of God in my life? One other point to be made, I think, is that when Jesus was often talking about the kingdom of God, his listeners also didn't really know exactly what he was talking about. And it was clear at times they're thinking this is going to be a physical kingdom. So I, I, want, I want you to think about what is a regular kingdom? When you think of or look up, say, in the Oxford English Dictionary, it usually says a kingdom is where a king rules and reigns over an area or territory. That's simple. The kingdom of God, however, as Jesus says in Luke 17, isn't going to be something that you can just point to necessarily like as a territory. Well, there it is and there it's not because the kingdom of God, he said, will be within you or among you depending on your translation. And you see this often as Jesus is going where he's pointing things out where the kingdom is on display. And I, I just want to encourage us to say, okay, if you take a step back and ask yourself, do I give God full reigns, full uncontested rule in my life? And then, of course, it's everything as it should be. Remember, that's the second part of the definition. And I want to contend that Maybe if things aren't really as they should be or as, a, as if God would have them be, it's because there are things that you're holding on to, maybe that aren't fully submitted to him or that aren't part of his kingdom at all. Matthew chapter 12 is another example where Jesus is literally delivering someone from demonic oppression. If you look at the life of Jesus, by the way, there are times he shows up, doesn't even say anything about Demons, the kingdom of darkness, and all of a sudden they just start manifesting. People that are under demonic oppression uh, start shrieking. Things are happening. Why? Because where the kingdom is on full display, darkness cannot stay. So it immediately uh, comes into con conflict and uh, contrast with that. What's ironic in Matthew 12, though, and again, you can read this on your own time, is that the Pharisees are there and they're criticizing uh, Jesus' ability to exercise demons by saying it's only by the prince of demons that he's driving out demons. And I love Jesus' response because he answers again with a question, well then, by what power are you driving, or driving out demons or trying to drive out demons? Because if I'm doing it by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God is among you or is present. See, the Pharisees didn't want to admit that Jesus was ushering in the kingdom of God so it's much easier to say, oh, that's the kingdom of darkness. Interesting point, by the way. You know, the greatest opposition to God's kingdom is not Satan's kingdom or the kingdom of darkness. It's my kingdom. And I want to submit to you, the opposite of your will be done is my will be done. If you want to oppose the work of the kingdom of God in your life, then just hang on to everything you want and don't be willing to surrender anything. It's interesting. If you do any 
study of the occult, specifically even the occult study of Satanism. Do you know what they preach? The number one rule in the Satanic Bible is do whatever thy wills, meaning whatever you want, chase after it. Anton LaVey, the former, probably most infamous head of the Satanic Church, said, we don't preach the worship of Satan, we preach the worship of self. The unbridled worship of self radically opposes the kingdom of God. So in order for God to have uncontested rule and reign and everything to be as it ought to be, it's going to require us to lay some things down. I would argue the idea of surrender is essential in the kingdom of God. Because if you're contesting him as king, then it's awfully hard for him to have complete rule and reign and for everything to be as it should be. I want to give us some practical application for what does this look like? And I don't want everything, by the way, uh, or anybody to go away thinking this is, this is an indictment because we all have things that God is asking us to surrender and that needed to be surrendered for things to be as God would have them or as he would want them to be in our lives, in the lives of those around us. So my suggestion uh, is that when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, I want you to be even more specific. Sometimes, uh, and for those of us who have memorized the Lord's Prayer, it's like we just kind of go through it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom. Give us today our daily bread. Yeah, we need food. We need things. Forgive us. Help us forgive other people. And we just kind of gloss over it rather than going through slowly or being even more specific. So in the area of your kingdom come, your will be done, I want you to then go into the micro into the small targeted areas of your life. If you've never done this before, this is your challenge this week. So, Lord, let your kingdom come in this relationship. Let your will be done in my attitude toward my spouse, towards one of my kids maybe who I'm having a difficult time with, towards my boss at work who I don't like. Fill in the blank and as I'm saying this, I, I will bet the Holy Spirit, if you ask him, just say, Okay, give me an area where, where I need more of your kingdom. He will probably poke you with an area or two that you can put this into practice. And if you don't know, just ask. God, I don't even know in this situation of my life what that looks like. But I'm going to pray it, then just sit and listen. Okay, God, what does it look like for your kingdom to come at my workplace? Give me a small example. Guys, sometimes we start way too big. We hear a sermon, we read a book, we listen to a podcast, worship song, we get all fired up, we're ready to take on the world, but we don't start with anything small and measurable. Little gains lead to big gains. Little successes lead to big successes, small wins, big wins. Use whatever analogy you want to. But when your journey with God, he's not in a hurry. He's just interested that your heart is set on him and that you are willing, open to his rule and reign. That's what the kingdom is really all about. So I want you to be specific. 
And if you don't know how, then just ask him, God, I don't even know where to be specific and see if he doesn't give you some practical areas where you can put this into practice each and every day. And the last point I wanna make is this idea of everything as it should be implies that his way is better. So if you struggle with trusting the Lord in certain areas, or you feel convicted about, I know God is asking me to put this thing down. It's because he has something better that he wants you to pick up. I've been a follower of Jesus a long time, at least it feels like that now, and I still feel like this is a regular thing where I feel convicted, where God is saying, I just want you to leave that over here. And so many of us are obsessive. I don't know if, if I don't even know how to do that, or I've been stuck in this way of thinking or in this habit of behavior for so long, but it's better his way. His rule and reign is better. He's a good king. That's the reality of the kingdom of heaven. And when you look at the life of Jesus, how could we come to any other conclusion? It's better. If you're struggling with this, I'd encourage you. I love the worship song uh, we sing Defender sometimes. Hallelujah, so much better your way. That is the kingdom of God and a perfect example of it. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray blessing over each and every one of you, tillers as well. Let's pray together and then let's go to work putting these things to work. Jesus, you're really good. Your kingdom is really, really good. Lord, I pray that anything that resonated with people today would take root, uh, that you would water seeds that have been planted, and anything uh, that shouldn't would just pass away, Lord. Um, Father, I thank you for your goodness. Jesus, I thank you that you uh, set us such an incredible example. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you uh, just be prodding, uh, be moving, continue uh, to just lovingly convict, poke and prod each one of us in areas of our lives, areas of our hearts, where we need to just lay things down, lay things aside, because you have so much better things for us to take up. And Lord, I just pray uh, in the lives of each one of us and in our church overall, that we would model what it looks like to be kingdom focused so that we can give you rule and reign and everything would be as it ought to be. In Jesus' name we ask this, amen. Thanks guys, thanks for giving me uh, the podium and uh, have a blessed week and go and put these things in practice. We hope that you were encouraged by this week's sermon. For more information, visit us at our website, www.fusionchurch.com, or you could find us on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great week.